Hello everyone, welcome to Outspoken. I'm your host, Justin White. This is episode 82, and my guest this week is my new pal, Maggie, who is a friend of my old friend, Maccabee, who you can hear on episode 71, I believe. Um, So Maggie and I had never spoken before, but I had listened to the podcast, which her dad is the subject of, and in which she appears as a real-life character herself. Um, So I'll tell you about how to listen to that later. It's called The Long Distance Con, and it's quite good and quite an interesting story. So at the end, I'll give you the link to that. Um, So let's just get into it and start talking about that and other things after we hear a short scene from the way life used to be that I don't miss that much. Um, well, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Mac speaks very highly of you. And um, I listened to your to, to the podcast that you were already on, telling your crazy story about your dad. <laughs> do you... Um, are you, do you feel like talking about that or are you yeah, okay totally. talking about that? No, we can totally talk about it. And I'm a big okay. fan of Mac, so the feeling is mutual. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a total sweetheart. Totally. Um, well, I don't want to, I don't want you to have to retell the whole story. And I do think people should go listen to that, to the long distance con. Um, but do you want to sort of summarize it? I'm mostly interested to hear your your perspective sort of in the aftermath and your hear about what you did, but we could set the scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I will say that the podcast kind of started when um, after my dad died, I received about 150 cassette tapes of recorded phone calls between my dad and an American man in the Philippines named uh, Jim. And uh, my stepmom gave them to me during Christmas and she was like, have a good time because growing up my family, or sorry, I have a really, I'm really bad at saying like a shortened version of it because it's just my mind goes into all the weird twists and turns, but um, essentially- I'm a big fan of tangents. Oh, good. You can go as far as you want. Good. I mean, the short of it is, is my dad got involved in a Philippines-based con. um, And I had received a bunch of documents and taped recorded phone calls on cassette tapes that spanned from like 2003 to 2010. Um, And they're all like daily phone calls, daily check-ins between my dad and this guy named Jim in the Philippines. And when you say you received them, they, you mean your your stepmom had them? Was it? Yeah. So I. Your dad who was recording, right? My dad recorded them, yeah. And my stepmom kept them in her garage in like a bunch of plastic bins, as well as like all sorts of documents and binders and okay. um, receipts. And one day I've I've always kind of known about it and been very curious about what my dad was doing in the Philippines. So one day I just decided to ask her for all the materials. And it also happened to be Christmas. So it was like a weird Christmas present. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Um, Did you even have a tape player? No, (laughs) no. We bought this like uh, this machine that you plug into your laptop and it converts the tape to an mp3 so most of my summer that year or i'd say most of that year since i started in january of listening to those tapes i think it was january 2016 um so most of that time was spent just listening to my dad have like either very exciting phone calls with this guy jim or like the most mundane phone calls (laughs) And you listened to all 150 of them? 
I didn't. No, I had a lot of help from Mac and then my husband listened to some too because um, some of them were really, really painful and hard to listen to. Yeah, I can imagine. Was it hard just to hear his voice? For sure. I mean, the first one I put in, uh, I kind of, I remember bracing myself and then pressing play. And then as soon as I heard my dad's voice, I just started crying. Yeah. And then I would imagine the nature of this, of the conversations made it also difficult just because from the few clips that you hear in the podcast, your dad sounds frustrated and angry and, you know, at times at least. Yeah. I mean, those ones are, are really hard. Um, but then there's like really mundane ones where my dad will be like, uh, just came back from the grocery store and, uh, just checking in. Um, you know, and then Jim will be like, well, I just came back too. And it'd be like a very boring, um, phone call. I actually have a harder time when my dad's upset. It's, it's not, um, as hard for me because I understand why he'd be so upset, but it's when there's a couple of phone calls where he's very optimistic. And there's one where he and Jim talk about how when this is all done and they get their money, they're going to go and stay at one of those fancy resorts in the Philippines together and like, you know, drink and just celebrate all of their hard earned success. And I actually find those tapes to be harder because you feel like he's being duped and it's it's power you're powerless to help him or what, what's the what's the feeling that and i think because he felt hope and you know yeah. this whole thing the whole reason why i think he was so hard on jim and and so i don't like grilled into him and called him every day was because this was the last thing that he had to like turn his fortune around. And when he felt that hope, then I think he, he felt for a second that he could have his whole, you know, his old life back. I see. So while this was going on, I mean, this is seven years of your life, right? Uh, I mean, my dad talking to the Philip, the guy in the Philippines. Yeah. I mean, this was going on while you were, were you aware of it when you were, I was. Um, he only started recording in 2003, but it was going on for about 11 years from 2009 to 2011. I have a liberal arts degree, so I'm very bad at math. Uh, what is that? <laughs> is that? Yeah. 2009. Uh, that's 12 that's, years. 11? Yeah, 11 and a half, let's say. Okay, great. You can edit that out and then just be like, she's a math genius. Math wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so I don't, uh, so what ages were you during this and, and how much awareness did you have? Um, let's see, 1999, here we go. Here's my math skills again. Okay. I was probably 11 or 12. Um, okay. and, and, and then 12 years forward. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the only thing that I knew about it is my dad would sometimes excuse himself to say that he had to go call the Philippines. Um, and it was usually at night because of the time difference. And I asked him once about it and I was like, why do you call this guy in the Philippines every day? Like what is going on? And he's like, you know, don't worry about it so much. And, uh, you know, if it works out, it'll be really good for us. Um, okay. So that's all I knew. And the only, the other thing I only knew was that my dad was very good at making money. So I just trusted him and was like, well, okay. My dad's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. Right. He'll know. He's figuring it out. And and was I, I can't remember how much his wife was aware of the actual business of it because she was opposed to it as soon as she knew, right? Yeah. I mean, Vivian at the start knew the most for sure. Um, but still, my dad kept her in the dark on a lot of things. But she knew that, you know, it involved like World War II bonds and, you know, currency that was hidden in the jungles. She knew about that much and, you know, told my dad that it was crazy. 
Um, but she didn't know how much money he was sending or the, you know, nitty gritty of what it was. Right. So that was the hook was this, there's this sort of buried treasure, so to speak. And some, someone knows where it is and they're guarding it. And the American guy, you were, your Jim, the guy your dad was talking to somehow had a connection to get it out of there. Or yeah. So claimed. Yeah. I think the hook was that it involved World War II treasure. Um, Cause my dad, like a lot of boomer parents was very interested in World War II. Right. Um, but I also think my dad liked being mysterious and having a mysterious hobby. So I think there was like an appeal of, of being involved in this, um, you know, exciting Indiana Jones-esque adventure in the Philippines. Right. And yeah, because he doesn't he say at some point that, you know, if this is true, I'm going to be a genius or so I'm going to be seen as brilliant but if it's not i can't remember his exact words but he, it seems like there was definitely an appeal to the to the intrigue aspect of it yeah i mean i know in that he's kind of equating to when he was in the radio business and everybody thought um you know using satellite technology for 24-hour programming was crazy and then when it worked out and it worked out very well for my dad um he was seen as a genius so i think he he was expecting to kind of have that same thing where people thought he was crazy and that this thing in the Philippines was crazy, but he was going to prove them wrong and it was going to turn out to be amazing again. Right. Which sort of explains why he couldn't let it go. Like he just like yeah. year after year would keep, keep getting hooked in. For sure. So, okay. Well, I'm curious to know about your experience in going to visit Jim, but is there any, is there anything else the listeners should know about the lead up to that? Uh, not, I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing to like, listen to somebody's voice who I will say at the beginning of this project, I wasn't totally convinced that Jim was conning my dad that um, I, I, in the very beginning of it, I kind of felt bad for Jim because he was always like living in these hotel rooms by himself. Um, he didn't really have any friends or family. And I thought that it was way crazier that he would just be sitting in a hotel room making this up. Um, but then as the project went on, I started to get angrier and angrier at him. Okay. So initially you thought he was also being conned by some other third party and just in it with your dad. Yeah. Or he just like believed it so much that it became true. Okay. And then at, at what point did you change your mind about that? I would say up until I met him, really. I think I always, I think I wanted to believe him because I wanted to understand how my dad could believe him. Like I really actually wanted to be duped by Jim and to think he was a genius Uh huh. because then it yeah. would have made sense for right. my dad to have fallen for him. I understand that. Yeah. So then, and you were sort of given some warnings, right? That, the, <laughs> that he might not be totally on the up and up. Yeah, like that he was going to maybe try and kill me. Right. <laughs> There's that, that, that tiny little uh, <laughs> detail. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's another, you know, the brain is a crazy thing. I never thought in my life that I would receive that, like have an expert be like, you actually probably, sh two experts tell me that I shouldn't do this because it'll be very dangerous and then be able to push that out of my brain and be like, yeah, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> and, and convince your husband who is not into flying. <laughs> to go with you. Yeah. I mean, that's on him. I was like, I'll go, you know, by myself. Well, he like, probably just didn't want you to go alone. Cause that's totally, extra crazy. 
Totally. No, I, I'm so happy that he went and was there. I bet. So, okay. So you, I mean, it's part of this, I don't want to reveal too much because the, it's great listening to it and to hear you tell it. And, um, you know, there's actual recorded conversations between the two of you. So I'd rather have people go check that out than yeah. try to walk through the whole thing. But were you, um, were you just sort of immediately like, Oh, this guy, okay. He's, he's full of shit. Or did, like, what was your experience of sort of the revelation that maybe he is conning or what has been the whole time? Uh, I mean, yeah, just talking to him was like a minefield of crazy. Um, you know, I talked to him for like two hours and I think I always kind of, whenever I look back at it, I think initially I, I get a little mad at myself for how trained to be polite I am. Um, yeah. so That's even so though hard. It's, it's so hard to let go of that. It's so hard. And also because, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, I should be nice to this guy so he doesn't want to kill me. Yeah, I guess there's that, that motivator. <laughs> yeah. Even though after meeting him, I was like, there's no way. Like, this guy is, he he's, could not, there's no way he could do that. Like, he's such an idiot. Okay. So you're so you're 100% convinced now that he he is to blame. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I am. And is do you have any recourse? I mean, what what can anyone do about it? No, I mean, there's nothing. The and that's why. I mean, never mind. That's a great moment in the podcast that everyone should listen to. It, but I have no, uh, I have no legal action because it's been too long. Yeah. Okay. He did and threaten to take me to tribal court, though. There's a really? yeah. There's a call where he had to, you know, since it was on the New Yorker, he has to uh, go through fact checking, and um, nothing that he claimed could be fact checked. And uh, he, you know, he was very upset and felt like I duped him, and then that he was going to take me to um, tribal court. Oh man, did did you? Do you know anything about what that would be like? No, but I'm, you know, I guess I like to live life for the experiences. So I'd be, you know, maybe naively curious about what that would entail. To me, it just sounds scary. I mean, when you hear tribal court, it sounds like the verdict could be, you know, having something chopped off or, you know, you have to go. I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it'd be good if you lose in tribal court. Yeah, I guess I just like in my mind, I was like, it must be short for tribunal. Oh, okay. Maybe. I to me, it just sounds primitive and like scary. Like you know, one one person gets to decide your fate. Yeah. Based on who tells the better story. Yeah, that's true. And it also sounds like it could be easily corrupted. <laughs> like, just be a group of guys that he knows that yeah the... i mean like all court yeah true i've just started yeah. watching the wire so oh really from yeah. the very beginning yeah, i've never seen it oh that's awesome that's i love good. that show it's good yeah it's in in my opinion it's one of the best uh tv dramas it's ever been i think that's how, how far in are you uh, I'm on season two, episode four. It's all okay. about like shipping and the unions. Cool. I think it's. I think that's when it really starts to heat up. And if I recall, it's really some really amazing characters on that show. Oh yeah. It's so I actually think it has the one of the best moments I've ever seen in television, which is in season one where Dion thinks he's going to get shot, but then Weibo just wants him to take care of his fish. Do you remember that scene? <laughs> Vaguely. It's it's coming back to me. That's really funny. I think it's the best it's one of the best moments I've ever seen in TV. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that. That's awesome. Well that's so good. You have it's five seasons, right? You have some watching ahead of you? Yeah. Exactly. That's exciting. Um Wow. Okay. So, well, can I ask one more thing about that experience and then yeah. we can 
talk about some other stuff? For sure. I mean, you can ask me as much as you want. So. Well, I just, when I was listening, I, it just felt, I felt so bad for you and your brother just wondering like what, like, because it's this open-ended thing. I mean, do you, do you feel like you have any kind of resolution just in your mind knowing like, all right, well, at least, cause there, there is no, there is no final word saying like, this is exactly what happened and here's how it happened. It's more of this mystery that didn't wrap itself up, but you have a firm feeling about it. So is that, is that enough? Does that feel like, you know, the answer, you know, you know enough to move on? Um, no, I, I mean, there, there was really no, sense of closure for me you know after i met jim i just felt so sad um i felt sad that my dad fell for it for so long i felt sad that he couldn't get himself out of it because he didn't know who he was if he wasn't a man without you know if he wasn't a man with money um i felt yeah, I just I just felt a supreme sadness that I hadn't felt since my dad died, really. So it was kind of being hurtled back into the grieving process a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, no one, there's so much could, you know, where no one was saying that, you know, like definitely 100% he was conned. You know, everyone was like, he probably was. So there's always that, um, there's always that 10% that kind of sticks with you. And not that I think that we could get any of the money back, but I think my curiosity in, in cons and particularly in, in that con, I think that that's something that won't go away in some ways, because maybe, maybe through learning about it and trying my best to understand it i i can feel like i can you know give some closure to my dad or to feel like he can have some unfinished business resolved right so do you have you found that you you're fascinated in the in cons in general like are you have you done reading on other ones or what's how do you approach that I think I'm just, just like sickened by the the fact of them. Or? I think I've always been interested in belief and what people believe in. So I think it's not it's maybe not so much in cons, but the the absolute resolute belief that people can have um, is something that I've always been very interested in and curious about. And I feel like cons and hope i i feel like that that is what's interesting to me yeah would you relate it to religious faith and things like that as well i would say towards when there's no i don't i don't when there's no gray area or like when there's no i don't i try not to like believe in binaries that like the rules are the rules and like there's no sort of gray area between it um Uh so you know I think that when people I don't know because like I'm I'm of the woo persuasion so I can't say that like what people believe is wrong um but I'm curious as to why I can allow my like brain to allow certain unrealities when I can be critical about like my dad believing that there's gold in the jungle. I don't know if what I said made any sense. <laughs> I think it does. Do you, do you have examples of it? Are there, are there things that you've believed that you can't figure out why you believe them? Um, I don't, I think I'm just like naturally a little bit of a seeker. So like I, I studied uh, Sufism in college. I took a Sufism class. So Uh I've always been like very curious and 
interested in sort of mysticism. Um, Me too. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. I think it's, I think that the questioning is important. And I think that's what I like about it. There's like this open questioning instead of just like dogmatic belief. My friend Julia and I both sing. We actually, and Shane, who plays guitar, sings as well, because we say, um, you know, that it takes three of us to sing as well as Dolly Parton. Okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, National treasure. Cool. Yeah, for sure. She, I don't, I don't know that much about her, but other than what you hear in the mainstream and you have to get past the original stereotypes even to hear anything. But um, it sounds like in recent years, I've heard that she's just super cool. Like she just was kind of awesome. Yeah. In lots of ways. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it kind of, I think about Dolly. I mean, obviously I think about Dolly a lot, but I think it shows, you know, she couldn't just, sing and play the guitar really well and write really amazing songs you know unfortunately she had to like come up with a little bit of a gimmick for herself in order for people to look past and see her and witness her as talented right and that's super true with most women doing anything for a big big chunk of history yeah like just to be seen you have to first you know, fit into the, how, how you're perceived. Yeah, um, definitely. Which really sucks. Cause then it takes, like in her case, it basically, she spent her whole career working to get back out of that image. I think. I don't know. I think that she's very, I think we could all take a lesson from Dolly where she's like very accepting about who she is and, um, you know, has no, qualms with the way that she looks and I think that you know I always say that like Dolly is all about radical acceptance both of other people because like if you think about her fans she spans from like the the gay community to then like very conservative Christians in the south you know and she can unite like going to a Dolly Parton concert is like witnessing the best of America of like completely different groups of people still loving and enjoying the same type of music. That's cool. I guess I haven't thought of her that way before. I mean, it's definitely true. Her fan base is, is broad. Um, have, have you seen her a few times or? Yeah. Uh, I saw her. Um, we did a tour of Tennessee about like, four years ago and we went to the grand old opry and so oh, wow. it was like i didn't grow up in church but i imagine that is it was like the closest i came to having a very religious experience that's amazing that's the best place possible to see yeah. her. 
I was like grabbing a stranger's hand next to me, like raising it up and crying. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And then my friend Julia and I actually met her uh, in November. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And she, it was the best three minutes of my life. Wow. That's so cool. So, so you must have told her like we're, we have a band and we sing your songs. And... Yeah, we did. Well, we actually got flown out to play the premiere of that movie Dumpling, which is on Netflix. Oh, um, and this was, it was like a very waiting for Guffman experience. I feel like because the, the gig was like very, um, played up for us like we were told that dolly will probably jump on the stage with us and she'll probably sing with us and we were like oh my god like we're gonna have to learn every single song and i my i think it how i like started to fantasize about how this was going to go i feel like very much showed to me how my brain works where i thought (laughs) that he was like going to either like pull the plug so that our amps didn't work and be like, you guys can play my music or that she was going to be like, why don't you jump on my private plane and we'll all hang out in Nashville together. Like those two extremes. I was like, either one is going to happen. Um, but then it's not typically how you, how you think like it's either going to be the best or the worst. Definitely. (laughs) It's like, Yeah, where I like, again, I really try not to um, think about or like get trapped in binaries, but I notice in how I think about myself in my own life, I'm like, well, it can either be really good or really bad. Yeah, there is no in between. But it turned out that a family member of hers died and she didn't even go to the after party. Oh, no. Yeah. So you couldn't become best friends like you thought you would. I thought, and then she didn't hate us. Like I also thought would happen. Right. I guess it's a win-win. That might be a good lesson for you just in general to, to, you know, realize that most everything happens somewhere in that middle ground. Right. Yeah. Yeah. do Do you have one single experience where it was as extreme as you thought? I don't not off the top of my head but I think I learned that lesson over and over again yeah I'm the same way I'm not I'm not trying to judge you I do (laughs) I I think it's a fairly natural thing actually to just imagine how far it could go in either direction yeah and once you've imagined it it's hard to believe that it could be any other way totally yeah I like that both are still possible like it's it's either going to be amazing or a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's cool. So you actually got to meet her, though. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Did that change anything about how you perform when you when you sing her songs? Um, I think it just adds a little bit more. You know, it makes us more legit. Yeah, you got some street cred now. Like blessed by Dolly Parton. Um, right did tell us to keep playing her music because I think we also always lived in fear of getting like a cease and desist letter. Um, right. But nope. Nope. She told us to keep playing it. And uh, yeah. That's great. What uh, did you, did you grow up listening to Dolly or how did, how no. did your love of her come about? No, I was always one of those people who was like, yeah, I like Dolly as a person, but I don't like her music. Uh, idiot. Um, I, <laughs> well, you just didn't know. You'd no, only heard. You know, people range. don't know. We're doing an educational service. Um, right. I got into it because I was in a production of The Magic Flute where I met my friend Julia. And um, she asked me if she want, if I wanted to be in this band that she's creating called Doll Parts. And I was like, definitely. So we both put it in our bios that we were part of a Dolly Parton cover band and then from that we got asked to do a gig at Union Hall which is a concert venue in Brooklyn and we didn't know any songs we didn't have a band and we were like oh fuck like we have to learn all these songs and like try to pretend we're a band and then we've been doing it for about nine years. Is that what you put in the bio? Is that you'd, you'd already been doing it for that long? 
No, no. We just said that we were in a Dolly Parton cover band, but from okay. that moment, it's been about nine years. Oh, now it's been that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like the longest running Dolly Parton cover band <laughs> of all time. Yeah. That's really great. But that, so you got your first gig before you had ever even picked up an instrument or learned uh, a single. Uh, yeah, before we learned. Yeah, any of her songs. And I think that gig was probably horrible. <laughs> but nobody else is doing it, right? Like you guys are you're the one? I think so. I mean, we've got that Google search on lockdown, but. Okay, good. That's there's important. probably, you know, other cover bands. I do have moments where sometimes I'll be like, you know, it's like a nice little feed for my ego when I'll say I'm in a Dolly Parton cover band and people will be like, which one I've seen, like I've heard of one. And I was like, doll parts. And they're like, Oh my God. <laughs> so it's the closest, you know, it's my 20 feet from, or maybe more like a hundred feet from stardom. Right. Well, no, you go, you can say 20 feet cause you did meet and talk to her. That's and true. Like, and did her blessing. That's true. Yeah. Back when well, we next time... hands. Right. Next time somebody says which one, just say the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no confidence. other one. That's a very different question now than then. Um, I, you know, I, I'm like a, I always have a hard time answering this question. Okay, well, you don't have to. I mean, just because I, it's like I get stuck in my own like feedback loops. Um, I, well, I'll, tell, I'll say this: I'm not, I'm not trying to. Um, you know, you're not applying for anything. You don't have to pass any tests. Uh, I'm not going to judge whatever your answer is. Thank you. I'm just curious. Thank like, you. What kind of stuff do you like to do? Sure. I mean, I like to write. I'm with a friend of mine. We're making like a kids craft-based storytelling podcast, which has been fun. Oh, that's cool. Um, so you're doing it currently. You're yeah, working on it. Yeah. That's just like Can a. Can you say what it's called? It's called Off We Go. And so nice. like conceit is um, you have to make a prop out of like toilet paper tubes, which I know are our hot commodity or like <laughs> takeout containers. And then you create like binoculars or a bucket and you have to use it in the story. Um, so that's been that's fun. Cool. I'm really. And then, do you give like prompts to to for the story or does or is the story already written? Um, yeah, so it we we like write out a story where um, it's mainly for like two to five year olds. So you have to like help uh, like the first episode, you have to help a fox um, find his pink socks. Um, nice. You know, so it's like you have to use your binoculars to go and look for them so doing a lot of that I think like I've always been someone who has to like do things so I like have a good way of making myself very busy I'm, I think I'm the same way I don't I don't like that our society is so um, achievement oriented like yeah. it, you, know, you have to have all these 
credentials just to be worth anything. But I do feel like there's this innate drive to create. And I feel like that's fundamentally what humans are about uh, one way or another. You have to be creating something. So I think it's cool if you're following that guide, but not for the purpose of having something to show at the end of it necessarily. Totally. I mean, that. I think that's something that maybe we're all trying to learn in this new you know, 2020 life that we have um, is to just create and pursue your curiosity purely for the joy of creating and pursuing that curiosity instead of thinking that it will lead you somewhere and you'll get something from it. Right. Do you feel like it's been, that's become more difficult with the advent of social media and sort of, you know, the fact that every single human has their own platform to express? I think it depends on what you want your creativity to do. You know, if, if like, I think it's definitely harder to probably get your voice heard. Um, But I mean, there's yeah there's so much to like sift through and you know i don't think the beatles or anything like the beatles will happen ever again because there's so much choice right yeah and and everyone can claim to be their own creator yeah i mean which is good we are totally but the but if it's all goal oriented then people get down on themselves for not being seen enough or heard enough, you know, and I think that can stifle creativity. I don't, I wish that it weren't that way. I just feel like it, because of this belief that we need to be always proving ourselves and showing our worth, uh, we, we step out of the pure creation aspect. Yeah. Because we have to think of ourselves as brands. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what I was, trying to say in a clumsy way. Um, so how, how do you think we can, do you think that what we're going through right now with being quarantined is, is a possible key to finding the, the pureness again? Or do you feel like, I mean, everybody still has the internet, so it doesn't really change much in those terms. Yeah, but I think in terms of like figuring out what you are interested in and curious in. And I think the like space and room for boredom is something that we've forgotten a lot about. And this is, you know, when when we have the privilege to stay in our homes, um, there, you know, there is that space for for boredom and that space to wander. And I think I'm trying at least to like not fill feel like I always have to be doing something or like fill my days completely because it's, it's such a novelty to be bored in some ways. Right. Are you, but do you have to consciously pull back from doing that? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. I am not good at it at all, but I am, I'm trying. Do you have uh, methods for, for doing so? Um, I would not recommend my methods to anyone because <laughs> it's a lot of, um, like, oh, just put your phone down. Like, just don't look at yeah. it. I'll look at it. And I'll be like, oh, great. You looked at it. So, um, a lot of self-judgment and, uh... yeah, I don't recommend my method unless you want to, um, my method would be called throwing your phone on the ground, lying on the couch, crying, and then picking it up again for an hour. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't recommend it. I don't think you're alone, though. I think that's True. that's a very uh, that's almost the universal method these days. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just tapped into the zeitgeist, I guess.
I've spent a lot of time thinking about what something like this pandemic, like how it would play out. Um, and I didn't, I guess I never really envisioned what's happening right now, which is basically everybody is fighting for their creature comforts. Like they're like, the only thing people are really upset about is like, am I going to have to lose my, all the things that I usually do? Um, instead of like, Hey, what about the, well, I don't know. I can't say everybody. I tend to speak in generalizations, but a lot of people are noticing that, you know, the sky is cleaner and the birds are chirping and we can actually hear it. Mm -hmm. um, but how is that focus going to continue or will we just immediately lose that when it's time to go back out? No, I have no idea. We're a little, the human race is a little short-sighted. Yeah. A, a little or maybe a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I ask a lot of hypothetical questions about like, what do we do to, how do we change that? How do we remind ourselves and each other of what, of where the true value lies? I know. Yeah. And I never really come up with an answer myself. <laughs> I don't, I don't I know. I don't, I, uh, and I ask myself the same thing too, but yeah, I don't know. It seems to me like we have to eliminate the the distractions in order to remember what our true nature is. But the distractions are sort of the the main focal point for most of, uh, at least for you know the privileged uh, elements of society, which is who basically shapes the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, you know, we like to be rewarded instantly, even more so. Yeah. In, in, instantly isn't even soon enough. We, we want to, you know, it has to be, we're not satisfied with one hour delivery. Even. It's got to be faster. We need drones. We need something else that can fly faster so we can get our stuff. I don't know. I really, I do think that people are going to sort of get it, that that stuff's not as critical. Like when you see that you can't get, toilet paper or you know or food maybe at some point then you start to realize maybe I don't need this device maybe I don't know probably not <laughs> probably still think about Amazon yeah supplies yeah unfortunately or like oh man what is my friend you know cooking tonight <laughs> those are the things yeah, yeah. Oh man! Well, I tend to bring the conversation down with with this <laughs> talk. So. Can you bring? Can you? Um, can you bring us in another direction? Do you have any stories? Oh my gosh! Just any story. I mean, I went to mime school, so that's another direction. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I spent. How was that? Horrible. It was really? really? Yeah, it was really hard. Um. There's something about having like an old uh, French clown yelling at you and telling you that you're not moving as the color blue that I think will stay with you for the rest of your life. That's hilarious. That's exactly how I imagined mime school. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty grueling. I was and I was like the youngest person there. I was 20 when I went um, and it was like being back in middle school because people were so afraid to do a bad job and like the whole point of that school is like you just fail every day um that you know if you didn't if you weren't like good at the neutral mask or like running pretending to run through a forest fire then no one would want to collaborate with you right they won't sit with you at lunch pretty much yeah They'll be like, oh, that girl can't find figure skate to save her life. Right. <laughs> she, I could totally tell she wasn't in that glass box. Yeah. Yeah. So. What led you to, to want to do that? Oh, man. I mean, I, again, I like think I live my life through the experiences a little bit, but I, mm -hmm. I went to Sarah Lawrence Um which is a school like a little bit like 30 minutes outside of New York city. And right. they had a 
study abroad program in France where you could go to L'Ecole Jacques Lecoq. Uh, and I was like very interested in like avant-garde theater and like physical theater. So I was like, great, I'm going to go to this school and it's going to be great. So I went for a year. You could extend it and go for two years, but I was like, fuck this. I am not <laughs> staying at mime school. That's amazing. Was was just going to France, was that part of the attraction? Um, part, you know, I actually really wanted to go to Africa for study abroad. Um, but I did, like I studied French and uh, I wanted to learn French and be fluent. And I stayed with a host family, um, which was great. I loved my host mother so much. We would bond and watch 24 together in French. <laughs> That's but, great. Yeah, I have like these memories of my host mother smoking a cigarette and being like, oh, Jack Bauer. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then you had to go be yelled at by a French clown. By a French party. clown. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh well that's you got the experience <laughs> yeah it's on my resume right you can learn mind degree right <laughs> or partial mind degree that's true junior and associate mind maybe yeah associates um, mind degree yeah that's it controversial but I'm gonna say it I uh really blame monotheistic religions for climate change in some ways because it puts man above the animal and plant kingdom instead of you know honoring and being one with them I think that's totally <laughs> accurate I don't think that's I mean maybe it is controversial but I think it's true yeah I mean, it's right in the bible there's there was a miss a misinterpretation of the Bible having to do with the phrase uh, dominion over, uh, you know, other animals. It was misconstrued to mean, you know, control and domination. But it, but, but the true meaning of dominion is uh, caretake. You know, it's like we have a caretaking role. Oh my God, I just got chills. <laughs> I didn't That's know that. Was, yeah, this, and that happened, you know, way way back when and then it was continually perverted into the real story so that yeah of course we can mass produce cows and chickens for our own right you know, consumption and disposal and treat everything as disposable and yeah we're supposed to be the shepherds of all those creatures oh my god i mean think about all the mistakes a human race has made because of typos right or like this <laughs> misunderstandings yeah well this may have been a somewhat intentional you know misinterpretation yeah it was just sort of like well we we are the lords of this land and we get to do what we want yeah i mean like most of the bible to be honest yeah Yeah, and and most monotheistic religions are written that way yeah because it was you know handed directly from god directly to man and but the but the role is really to is supposed to be that of the caretakers of the whole planet that's so much better totally and the religions or or cultures that did practice that you know like the natives of pretty much any land before they were invaded 
uh, they took really good care of stuff. Yeah. And they, they maybe called the herd a little bit, but they didn't wipe out the whole species. Yeah. Ever. And um, yeah, there's, there's definitely much to be learned from that way of life. And I, I agree with you completely that that's, that's a big part of why we went astray. Yeah. I think there are a million other factors now, but um, we went off on that path believing that it was the right one, or at least those who were gaining from it, you know, made the choice for us. Yeah, definitely. I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is like a very fundamentally religious town. Yeah, um, I lived in Boulder for a little while. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. So then you probably little, heard about the springs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, nervous about going there. It's beautiful. Um, and it's weird because my like immediate bubble was not fundamentalist at all. I was like in this weird liberal bubble. Um, but my since my mom has Parkinson's, she had a caretaker who was like incredibly religious, which I would prank her all the time where like I'd buy a bunch of books about the devil and like read them when she'd come in and like set up elaborate like ritual rooms <laughs> and just be like amazing. oh hey Sarah um that's hilarious but I remember were you like 16 or something yeah exactly I was like okay. 15 16 you know and like right at the time when I like wanted to be a teen witch too so it's like <laughs> okay. a little genuine um right. But I I remember one day when she picked me up from school, I asked her where I was like, Sarah, do you think I'm going to hell? And she was like, absolutely. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. What about like someone like the Dalai Lama? Are they going to hell too? And she was like, yep, 100%. <laughs> wow. Like, so she believed like either you're all the way in. Yeah. My specific. Yeah. Like you're. Or you're you're all doomed. Yeah, we're like I don't know. Maybe I have a different understanding about like what Jesus was into because I don't I don't think he was like that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just plain wasn't like I. I mean, it's amazing to me that it, his teachings could be so far perverted to, to actually be the opposite of what he was trying to teach. I know he seemed like a cool dude. He was a cool dude. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, and that's another thing that got perverted in the Bible, this idea or corrupted that, that he was that he died for our sins. Uh, it, my understanding is he he died in order to show us that the body is not what we need to associate with. And that's the, the body is totally uh, disposable and expendable. And it's the it's the spirit that continues. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a theologian but i've i'm mostly into spiritual uh readings and a lot of them actually use jesus as the guide but it's the real jesus it's the real teachings of jesus it's not the biblical one yeah again way better way better <laughs> much less uh, slaughter and and xenophobia <laughs> yeah hate and yeah exactly. yeah hate-based hate love that's the what a great way to go oh my god but, but it is strange that even the fundamentalist Christians can become caretakers. Like they, they do, at least some of them, you know, like she, she was taking care of your mom, yeah. even though her daughter was a heathen. Yeah. She was able to believe that far. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think I was her ultimate Christian test if she could, could like, if she could convert me, but <laughs> she didn't succeed. Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> we wouldn't be talking if she had. Yeah, right? yeah. I wouldn't do anything that I do or have any of the friends I have or right. gone anywhere. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... I'm, I'm very curious to see where what religion is going to do in the next... I mean, I won't be around to see it play out as far as I'd like to, but I, I'm just really curious to see how that story unfolds. Same. You know? Because I feel like in just a couple more generations, there's going to be a big letting go of all the fundamentalist stuff. I hope um, so. I do too. 
I do too. I might have to check in from the from the other side. <laughs> from the other plane. See. Yeah. No, I yeah. really hope so. It's not healthy. It's not good for very many people. No. Any of those extreme religions. Yeah. And like all, you know, like fundamentalism on any side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like the way you imagine some uh, anticipated event is going to go. It's either the best or the worst. It's like my Dolly Parton experience. Yeah. Yeah. We have to allow for the the gray area. (laughs) Yeah. That's the lesson. Yeah. Uh oh, I hear coughing. Is that your husband? <laughs> that is, yeah. He has a nervous he cough. Okay? He's fine. He's had okay. this cough forever. But it's not the it's not the no. symptom no. you need to be wearing. No. He would like right. <laughs> I think he needs to like wear a shirt that says, I just have a cough. It's just a normal cough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. And I appreciate you talking for as long as you did. Yeah, thank you. I um I want to know what books you're reading, so you should share them with me. Oh, okay. Um, right now? The, uh, or just like in the future. In, in the future? Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now I'm reading uh, The Flight of the Falcon, which is the follow-up story to The Falcon and the Snowman. Oh, I don't know that. Um. It's a it's a true story that um, there was a movie made about it, which I want to watch again, actually, because I can't I think Sean Penn was in it. And I remember not understanding it fully when I saw it at age 13 or whatever. Um, but the it's it's the story of two American uh, spies. They, they sort of accidentally became Russian spies. Oh, and and uh it's pretty interesting. It's not, it's not the best writing in the world, but, um, but it's a compelling enough story that I, I really enjoyed it and then wanted to see what happened after, because the, after one of them was, they were both sentenced to prison terms, but one of them escaped. And um, so the book I'm reading now is about the escapee. Oh, wow. Own, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then I have a couple others in line uh, in the fiction department. I have an Iris Murdoch book that I'm thinking about uh, called The Accidental Man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can talk more about books. Excellent. I'd like to know what you're reading too. Excellent. We'll share books. Cool. And and any other sort of uh, quarantine activities that have have kept you sane and kept you engaged definitely cool cool well thanks so much for uh wandering with me and yeah. it was a sort of <laughs> un- unguided uh, meandering no it's great thanks so much for for chatting with me and having me it was my pleasure oh. um and i will i'll be in touch okay great cool, cool. thanks maggie thanks justin i'll talk to you later <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. That was Maggie Robinson Katz. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, you can listen to the podcast that she was a part of and my friend Mac uh, co-produced. And it's called, as I said, The Long Distance Con. And you can find that at the New Yorker Radio Hour podcast. The Long Distance Con. Check it out. And then also... Um, as we discussed, Maggie is in a Dolly Parton cover band called Doll Parts. So check them out on Instagram at Doll Parts Band. At Doll Parts Band. That's all. And also at dollpartsband.com. And lastly, the podcast that Maggie and her friend are currently working on and producing is called Off We Go with an exclamation point. Uh, So that's the podcast for kids where they go have adventure stories and they have to build things and participate. And it sounds super fun to me. And I wish I was two to five years old again. Um, I often wish that, actually. Well, not that often. 
but I'm glad that I am where I am. I'm glad that we're all where we are. Everybody's playing their part. Um, I hope everybody's healthy and as happy as can possibly be expected under the circumstances. And I know that happiness is fleeting, but so is pain and suffering. They both come and go. So let's enjoy every bit of what we can and support each other through every bit of what we can't enjoy. And on that note, I love you. I will check you later. Please uh, send me an email if you want to say hi or ask me a question or tell me a statement. Uh, email at outspokenpodcast.com. And please uh, go check out my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash outspokenpodcast. And there you can give me $2 a month or more, and I will give you something in return, and it'll be cool. At least somebody thinks it will be. Um, If you might be that somebody, uh, your support is greatly appreciated. I know there are many places to give money, and I encourage you to do that to those places as well, especially food banks and medical needs and Doctors Without Borders and restaurants that are suffering and all the rest that you know about by now. And if you don't, please start knowing about it. Okay, I love you. Take care of yourself and each other.